Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Okay, as always, thank you for joining me today, Jim, and thank you to all of you who are tuning in. I guess let's just state the obvious, which is that the last couple of months of Christian news has been really difficult to read. It just seems like it's been this constant marathon of scandals and cover-ups and sexual abuse and institutional corruption, and um, that seems to be what Christianity, at least in in secular culture is being known for right now, which is very devastating. Um, Most recently, of course, I'm referring to the horrifying report that was released recently exposing massive levels of abuse and cover-up within the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, back on episode four, we talked about already how the church might respond to moral failings in the church. And then on episode seven, we discussed the importance of having women specifically in positions of leadership within the church. So we're not going to rehash those same discussions today. Um, But I do encourage you if that's of interest to you to go back and listen to those. Instead, I thought we'd focus in on the denominational aspect of the SBC scandal, Um, because for a post-Christian world, I'm curious as to whether Christian denominations are really all that important to people who are exploring God, or whether the church really should continue fighting to maintain its denominational distinctiveness in the future, or distinctions in the future. So, Jim, based on your research, what is the status of the modern of modern day Christian denominations? I've heard they're in decline, but you would know better than I would. Uh, try free fall. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty bad. Uh, it used to be that uh, the denominations that were in decline were the mainline denominations. And a lot of people were pointing the finger at them because they say, we'll see what liberalism does to you or when you get away from historic Christian orthodoxy. I remember a book that came out 40 years ago, a sociological analysis that was simply called Why Conservative Churches Are Growing. The whole idea was their theology and such lent themselves to growth as opposed to uh, a more liberal approach. And there is no doubt that mainline denominations have been in decline for quite some time and are still in decline. For example, PCUCA, Presbyterian Church UCA, which we considered a mainline church, between 2016 and 2021 declined an additional 20% from what had already been pretty steep decline. But what's new as of late is that even uh, conservative churches, churches known for evangelistic emphasis are in decline. Um, And uh, you mentioned the Southern Baptist Convention. They're a great example. They have dropped by a million members and just over the last three years, and they are currently at their lowest level in 40 years. Um, And church membership as a whole is in decline, is across the board. In 2020, um, um, it was found that church membership, church involvement in America had dropped below 50% for the first time since it has been charted, and it had been charted for eight decades. So for the first time in 80 years, church involvement dropped below 50% of Americans. And that's going to be really high to our Canadian brothers and UK brothers who are watching and listening, and I'll talk about them perhaps later. But um, you, to know how precipitous that is, is that it was a little over 70% in 1999. 
and now it's dropped from over 70% to now under 50% just since 1999. And so you also have the ripple effect seen in seminaries. Fuller Evangelical Seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary um, has had to reduce its number of campuses and is trying to sell land and do what it can to survive because of the declining number of students. Uh, the um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, TEDS, as we call it, um, has been in precipitous decline. And then of late, uh, the school that I used to be president of, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, um, has uh, also experienced very steep decline. They went from, um, this was after my presidency, but uh, in 2012, they had about 1,230 full-time equivalent students. And in 2021, that dropped to 633. So almost a, a, a halving. And then of course they've been in the news for now choosing to sell their main campus of over hundred acres in South Hamilton uh, so that they can survive financially. Um, and then we haven't even talked about COVID. What's that done across the board in terms of just not just lower attendance, but also loss of membership. So I think it's fair to say that denominations are on life support Hmm. Well, that's in America, though. Is that is this consistent on an international landscape? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, in fact, um, two thirds of the population in Britain, for example, don't attend any religious services at all. In Ireland, it's down to only a third attend weekly. Uh, Europe as a whole, only 22 percent attend or involved in church. Uh, and uh, in fact, there was an article I read just recently that just over the last little short period of time, over 2000 churches closed uh, in uh, the UK alone. And so, yes, it is something that's across the board in the West. The only place where the Christian church as a movement, for, I mean, this is independent of denominations. Mm -hmm. The only place where it's growing is, is largely in Africa. Um, I would say the, the West is in decline, but it's growing in Africa. And so it's, 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 it's growing in the South, if you will. I want to come back to the what's behind the decline in just a minute, but I think it would be helpful if maybe first you helped us to understand Christian denominations a little bit better, because I know some of our listeners are very familiar with denominational differences. They probably themselves, you know, some identify with a particular denomination, but I think others have never attended a denominational church and they don't understand what is behind the divide. So when we speak of various Christian denominations, can you clarify, what is it that they differ on? Like, yeah. is it doctrine? Is it practice? Right. All of the above. Um, the word denomination or the word denominate is simply another word that simply means to name. And so when you talk about a denomination or to denominate something, it means uh, something that is set apart, something that, we're, that you're giving something an identity and, and, and a face and a, and a pedigree. And, a, and so it's normally um, when you talk about Christian denominations, church denominations, you're talking about gatherings, groups of Christians that have shared beliefs, a shared creed. Uh, similar practices, uh, and they're cooperating for various mission endeavors or for shared enterprises. Uh, and then and, and the diversity is often largely built around stylistic differences and, and, and cultural differences, ethnic differences, geographic differences in the world. Um, and so, um, uh, in fact, that's where the Southern Baptist Convention got its name. It started off regionally in the South. It had a terrible reason for its beginning. It was tied with the Civil War, but nonetheless, that tells you something about how even a regional difference um, can be uh, something just like there was something called the Northern Baptist and there's other, you know, Baptist things. 
Um, and, um, and even when I said PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, as opposed to Presbyterian churches in other places and so on. So a lot of it can even be something as simplistic as geography. Uh, but um, it also can be stylistic and you have this even in the New Testament. Um, and so it's to have different churches that are different in nature and makeup and style uh, is not uncommon and is not something new. Um, you do have it in, for example, in the New Testament, you have uh, what some, and this is a simplistic, but I'll just say you have kind of like what some would call the more formal church in Rome, the more Bible-centric church in Ephesus, the charismatic church in Corinth, uh, the black church started by the Ethiopian eunuch. And so you have diversity that seemed to very, very much please the Holy Spirit. And they were very different churches in terms of worship style and, and all kinds of things and in background and culture. And so uh, God seems okay with that as long as there is overarching unity and that the divides between the churches were not simply relational divides where I don't like you anymore, or I'm not going to get along with you, or I'm not going to practice Matthew 18, 15, or, you know, we're just going to get into a fight and split. But sadly, that is a lot of times what caused denominations. They got in fights and split over either stylistic issues or doctrinal things. Now, some of those doctrinal things might have been important. Uh, there's a major divide right now going on with the United Methodist Church, where a new denomination was started that was more conservative in nature because there was a group within the UMC who said, we, we just can't support gay marriage. We can't support ordaining uh, clergy who are, who are practicing and in an homosexual relationship. And we just are, we can't, on many other things, we can't do that. We feel like we're betraying historic orthodoxy. And so there are many people who would look at that and say, well, that's a, that's a noble and good reason uh, for a denominational split between really true, what would some would say, where the denomination is leaving historic Christian orthodoxy or a real biblical understanding of even basic sexual ethics. Um, and so there's 9,000 different denominations around the world. There's 600 in the U.S. alone. There's a lot of them. And another thing that I'll throw in, again, just from a church history standpoint, is that one of the reasons why it's exploded so much, particularly in the United States and, and, and from the United States around the world, is what Sidney Mead called the lively experiment. And that was with the United States, you didn't have a state church like you had in, in, in England where so many came from. And many other places had a state church that had that connection. In the United States, you did not. And so what that meant was you had a free market entrepreneurial spirit joined with religion. And so if I wanted to hang out a shingle that said, you know, or you did, Alexis's church, you could do that. You could even self-appoint yourself a pastor or, or start your own church or denomination, uh, create your own creed, and start uh, recruiting your own followers. And so uh, that was what, again, Sidney Mead called the American experiment, the lively experiment. And in one way, it, it, it worked. I mean, America became just this booming, you know, uh, place for religious faith and fervor and Christianity, whereas in England with the state church, it declined much more. Um, but that was because we were allowed to be entrepreneurial and denominations were allowed to be started. They didn't have, you didn't have to fight the wineskin issue in the Bible. There could be new wineskins and we could do things in a different way. And so in many ways, that's what started for some of the first great awakening and, and the camp meetings and all of these things that went against ecclesiastical structure and style and brought the message to the people and, and allowed there to be lively music that reflected the people and, 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 you know, straight from the heart teaching and all these different kinds of things. And so 
um, you know, you can you can look at denominations as good or bad, and the truth is, it's it's both. It's been a mixture of both. It's been a mixture of really unhealthy division or discord, but it's also been uh, a source of great, uh, robust energy, creativity, entrepreneurial uh, spirit, and allowing the Christian Church to grow um, without uh, undue breaks put on it. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer <laughs> or long response. I think that was really helpful because I I do think that there are two like main points of that. There's a lot of points, but I feel like two big takeaways for me, at least, are that it's not as simple as just, we can't simplify it to the point where we're saying you just pick a denomination, like you would pick a ice cream flavor or music taste, like that. They're all essentially the same. They're just kind of different practices or worship music or whatever, because that's not necessarily true. But then also we shouldn't over-exaggerate the differences to like make every difference a, a doctrinal difference where, you know, you can say that your one and only denomination has it right and all the oh, other denominations have it wrong. Really well put. Um, that, uh, and, and I think that's where anyone needs to have discernment, where um, there are differences between denominations that quite frankly, uh, you know, that they both would sign off on the Nicene Creed they 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 both would uh, would uphold what almost anyone would call historic understanding of the gospel and orthodoxy, but they have differences on what um, many would call tertiary matters, secondary mm-hmm. matters that are really not critical to whether or not someone is saved, orthodox, or a Christian. Uh, but they have so they're nuances in in, in a way, um, and so. Uh, do you, like, you can have an honest disagreement on whether or not you should um, baptize by immersion or baptize by sprinkling, uh, but you don't have anyone saying you shouldn't be baptized mm. and, and what that means, you know, biblically. Um, and, uh, but you can take that further and say, well, but what about infant baptism versus adult baptism? And then you might be saying, well, now we're getting into something maybe a little more serious, but, you know, you just have degrees as you kind of sort these things out in terms of doctrine. Um, but when it is, and also a lot of them is just done by church structure, you know, are we going to be, uh, have an understanding that there should be a body called elders separate from the pastor and staff to, to run the church? Well, elder is the Greek word presbyteros, and that's where we get the word Presbyterian, and that was a denomination that even took their name from their understanding of church structure. Um, and also Presbyterians would be um, more Calvinistic in their understanding, whereas most Baptists would not be. And um, certainly Wesleyans and Methodists would not be. So you do have important doctrinal differences, but not necessarily ones that you would divide fellowship over or simply say we're not Christian brothers and sisters. And so the divides are, are, can be important. The divides can be meaningful. And I do think that it is a matter of conscience and and, uh, you know, as someone who comes from a Baptistic kind of understanding of things, um, you know, that's, that's where I am at. Um, um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 so many of those issues are tertiary. Well, you mentioned the structure and I want to tease that out a little bit, because I think that what a lot of Christians, even if you attend a, den- a church with a particular denomination, maybe don't always realize is that um, there's an inst- institutional component to many Christian denominations. Like it's not just my local church, but rather those local that local church um, has to, is part of a larger network of a denomination. I think that's what is really um, under the microscope with the SBC scandal is it's more than just one church. It is a whole network of churches. And so can you help us to understand what it means beyond the local church level to belong to a Christian sure. denomination? Sure. Well, let's just take the Southern Baptist as an example. 
uh, in Southern Baptist uh, understanding and in almost all Baptist understanding, not just Southern Baptist, but uh, in what's called the free church tradition, which is beyond Baptists and a lot of other different denominations, um, every local church is autonomous. That fact, that's a huge idea, local church autonomy. And uh, that local church is not answerable and subject to anything else. I mean, it's, it's independent. Um, so you have the local church, but then the local church gathers into what's called associations, local associations. So for example, uh, we're here in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Mecklenburg County, which is why Mecklenburg Community Church is called Mecklenburg Community Church, or in Mecklenburg County. If anybody ever, ever wondered why on earth do you call yourselves Mecklenburg? I know of a Queen Mecklenburg out of UK, which is why we got her name for Mecklenburg County. A lot more local history than you cared about. But anyway, around here to be Mecklenburg Community Church or Mech for short, when everything else is Mech for short, is very common. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so the, I say all that because the, it used to be the Mecklenburg Baptist Association that was all the associations. Now I think it's called Metro Line, the Baptist Association, where all the Baptist churches kind of willingly cooperate on a local level for missions and, and re pulling the resources and doing things for, say, for example, the poor and, and other issues, but also to, uh, for evangelistic causes and such, and also to help start other churches, mostly uh, churches of, you know, uh, where there's different languages needed to help start like a Vietnamese church or, a, you know, a Korean church and such. But then there is the state level where those same churches who form the association also form a state. So, for example, in Baptist life, it'd be the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. And, um, and so that would be where, again, money is given that goes not only to the association, but also to the state to help coordinate a statewide level of cooperation and ministry. Oftentimes states have you know, camps that are used for high school and youth retreats or other things. They, they uh, pool money for strategic church planting in areas throughout the state. They have a staff that tries to work to serve local churches in terms of consultants and such. And so it's, 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 it's a resource body and also a cooperative body. And then it goes to the, to the national level. Uh, every June, Southern Baptist gathers somewhere and they send, every church sends what's called messengers. And you're able to send a certain number of messengers based on your church's size and how much money you gave to the cooperative program, which is what their, their big pool is of money that you give to the cooperative program. And, um, and then, uh, and then they make decisions there. They can vote on things. They vote on trustees. They vote on who's going to sit on the boards of the six seminaries. There are six Southern Baptist seminaries, for example. Um, and who's going to sit on the executive committee and who's going to sit on all these different boards for Lifeway Resources and, and, and the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, which oversees all the missionaries that go out for in the name of, of Baptists. And so it gets to be this very complex, large, yes, bureaucracy, but organization um, of, and the larger a denomination gets, the more it does. And you can say, gosh, I said, oh, it's organized religion. I just, ah, I hate all this. Well, the opposite is disorganized religion. <laughs> you know? So let's not just totally dismiss that and realize that at some point, even biblically, there needs to be some, some people with a corporate hat on how, how are we going to use resources? How are we going to fund missionaries? How are we going to decide where a church plant needs to be? I mean, this is real life. And this is needed. I mean, if we're, are we going to have a seminary to train our people? Well, somebody's got to build that, staff that, fund that. We have to have some kind of sense of, of a board for that. And so if we're going to have orphanages, you know, then so it's not bad. It, it just can be on the surface. You kind of go, yeah, I wish it was, I wish it was more organic. Well, yeah, but it started organically. 
And just when things really get larger and larger and larger, there often needs to be things that are much more systemic. But that's how it would work with the Southern Baptists, for example. And um, so, yeah, and so if a church gets upset, they can leave, they can withhold their money. They don't have, I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're not subject to it. And um, really the way you are a Southern Baptist church is almost entirely just do you give money to the cooperative program hmm. and, 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 you know, and, 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 and have a, a basic Baptistic understanding. And if so, you know, you're kind of in the club. Now it's a lot more sophisticated than that for the Methodists and the Presbyterians. In fact, in the Methodist church, uh, the typical church doesn't even own their own property. The denomination owns it, which is why if that church wants to leave the denomination, they're welcome to, but you leave the building, you leave the land, that's ours. Uh, we bought it, we built it, we own it. And, um, and we're also going to point who your pastors are in the Methodist church. The denomination is very top down. In Baptist life, it's very bottom up. But for example, in Methodist church, you have no say-so. The, the, the church has no say-so over who their pastor is. It's like, okay, the, the bishop can just say, we're moving this person out and putting this person in. Don't like it? You know, sucks to be you. Mm. And, um, and so you have a lot of different ecclesiastical structures. And so um, in terms of things and just in terms of just raw church polity, but that's a taste of it. Sure. Now, I know at one point, not now, but I know at one point, you know, belonging to a particular Christian denomination was really important for a Christian. Like it kind of makes me think as a modern equivalent, equivalent, like sports rivalries today, how passionately you can feel about a particular sports team or a conference, or if you're here in the South with Jim and I, it's either Duke or Carolina, and you have very strong feelings about that. Um, but- we all know, and God wants it to be. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and there are doctrinal divisions within denominations, but I'm just thinking we live in a time now where it's increasingly post-Christian, you know, biblical illiteracy is on the rise. So does it seem like the average Christian who even identifies with a particular domination, denomination has a clear doctrinal understanding of their denomination? No, no, they don't. And, and increasingly, particularly large churches, uh, churches have been planted in the last 15, 20, even 30 years, have really downplayed their denominational affiliation. It used to be that it would, you would never, ever, 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 ever plant a church and not have the name of the denomination in the name of the church. So it would be First Baptist Church, uh, you know, Wyndham Presbyterian, it'd be, you know, Harris Methodist Church, whatever you want to call it, but you would put that in there. And that was important because you wanted to attract people who were looking for a Methodist church, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, and because people were denominational in nature. I mean, what else was there? All there was were denominational churches until the 1970s, 1960s and 70s, largely through the Jesus movement uh, that came out of that and that started in the West Coast, and also just this, this fresh wind that many look back on and say was really, truly a God thing. There was this fresh movement in terms of ecclesiastical structure and, and in terms of not feeling like you had to work within a denomination where you could start a church and it would be non-denominational or interdenominational, or people were starting new denominations that were um, more open to either um, charismatic issues, the, the work of the spirit or contemporary music, or just even things like informal dress and, 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 and the role of women in ministry or just more evangelistic in nature or didn't want to have uh, uh, strategies dictated to them by a denominational structure that were outdated or even just being forced into something like having Sunday school or having services on Sunday night and Wednesday night and having to run all the denominational 
programs, just to be freed up of all that, to just kind of do something fresh, different, creative, entrepreneurial. And so you had just this explosion of church planting that really took off in uh, the, the uh, 2000s. It was just beginning in the 70s. And it was just got a little bit more in the 80s. But I remember when I planted Mac in 1992, you still were wondering if it was legal. <laughs> and, and we were really, and it was still a newfangled thing. And even some of the churches, the contemporary big churches that people are familiar with, don't realize that, that they were relatively new church plants. For example, Willow Creek was started in 1975, Saddleback in California, 1980, Mac, 1992. And so now it's almost like every church you hear about is a church plant, but that's a relatively new phenomenon. It was a lot of that movement was kind of cranked into gear by some of us old guys that, but it was a, a, for a new ecclesiastical structure and to be freed of it. And so even if you were tied to a denomination, which even back then most were, you buried it um, simply because um, either it was, it began to be a negative in the idea, in the minds of the typical person. I don't want to be part of a denomination. I, don't, I grew up Lutheran. I don't want to be part of a Lutheran church or whatever, even though you were like a radically different Lutheran church who all these different ways. And so, you know, how could you maintain your, your Lutheran roots and, and still say, Hey, we're different. Well, why don't we call ourselves, you know, Memphis community church for Memphis, Tennessee. And, and then that you're a Lutheran church or you have a Lutheran historical identity, which you know, you're happy to share during membership classes and things of that nature, but you just don't put it on your shingle out front mm -hmm. where it could be an unnecessary barrier. So again, more of an answer than you asked for, but I do think that um, the average person who, even if they are consciously aligned with a denomination, probably aren't familiar with all the nuances. And even if they are familiar with it, they're not familiar with how other denominations might look at it differently. Mm, sure. Well, so you already mentioned, I'm, I'm trying to think if we go back to like what we started talking about this at the top of the podcast, what's behind the denominational decline. And you've already mentioned several things. I mean, certainly you mentioned all things COVID um, and just church attendance being down. And then you also mentioned like the Jesus movement of the you know 70s, 80s. I'm also thinking, I mean, kind of ironically, when you're talking about the structure, the institutional aspect of denominations, how many would argue that they are meant to add multiple layers of accountability. And yet the SBC is kind of an ironic example of how maybe that's not always effective. Um, so I'm trying to think like, is that a part of this conversation too, with the decline that we're finding that there's kind of a dark side to them? Or is there something else that we're missing here in terms of what is behind the most recent decline? Well, first of all, I would say the SBC's problem was not too many levels of accountability; it was too few. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and 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 where a handful of people on the executive committee were able to bury things and stonewall. And the average Southern Baptist person is aghast at this report. And uh, I think, and you know, there's already been a number of resignations, and I'm hoping it's going to be a new day. But I, I think what has caused the decline of denominations is 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 multifold. Uh, I mentioned liberalism. And I'm just going to call that for what it is. I, I, I think that it's been well documented, even if somebody says, I do hold to liberal theology. I don't think there's any doubt from a sociological standpoint, just you know, the social sciences. You look at mainline denominations, which are the ones that typically are the ones that have moved left of center theologically. They have been the ones that have been the steepest decline and have been for quite some time. Whereas conservative churches have, if are either are the ones that grew or the ones that are declining the least. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about that. That is a sociological fact. Um, and typically with 
uh, a left of center theology or, or liberalism. And again, um, that may, I know that's a loaded word, but let me just use it. Um, that there is also a lack of evangelism. And because some aspects of liberal theology begin to have such an inclusive attitude, they don't even really have a fire in their belly for evangelism as if people really need to be saved or that there really is a heaven or a hell or, or you know, they start falling into universalism. So there are some aspects of theology that would actually make you kind of lukewarm about evangelism. So I think that's another thing. Um, I think another reason why is that in, in traditional denominational churches, denominations themselves are slow to change. They're often the last to change the last to be entrepreneurial. They're, they're the ones that are trying to preserve status quo. And for example, in the, um, um, uh, you know, I have a background in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I remember that many, many, many years ago, um, I had a 19 month period where I actually worked. Uh, and I was a leadership consultant for preaching and worship for the SBC, which was housed then through the Baptist Sunday School Board, which is now Lifeway. And I was fresh out of my PhD. It was right before I started Mac. This is a whole other story. It could be a whole other podcast. But, um, uh, you know, I was set free to study the largest, fastest growing, most effective churches in the United States of any denomination and then turn around and write about it. And I remember that I, I, I wrote a book based on my research then called Opening the Front Door. And the subtitle was Worship and Church Growth. And my thesis was simple, that since 1972 or so, um, the main service of a church was better attended than the Sunday school. And you know, somebody said, they're going, okay, what a stupid subject. This was a bombshell. The entire Southern Baptist Convention had built its entire strategy for church growth, discipleship, and everything else through Sunday school. Uh, they actually had their main organization called the Sunday School Board. I mean, it was Sunday school for everything. You want to grow your church, that's, you got to do it through Sunday school. You want to raise money, do it through Sunday school. You want to solve global warming, you do that through Sunday school. And it was just, it was the answer for everything. So here comes this young kid who says, um, I don't think it's Sunday school anymore. I think you better open the front door to the main service and also start thinking about unchurched people and not just trying to grow from existing Southern Baptists moving into your area. And, and you know, I had a few other kind of tame little things like that to say, and it was just, it was just so resisted. I mean, it literally got violent. I remember one guy stopped me high up in the same school, stopped me in a hallway and he'd, he'd read a preview of the book. And I, I thought he was going to pick a fight, like a literal fist fight with me. And, and it was just, it was just, so there was this goal to, to, to uh, preserve status quo. Uh, like even in that day to preserve something like Sunday school, like it doesn't matter. Don't confuse me with the facts. We have to preserve Sunday school. But Sunday school is everything. It's sacred. And doing it that way. So, so there was a, a very little openness to new wineskins. And um, so I think another thing too, is that oftentimes denominations find themselves having the goal is to promote the denomination, promote its resources, promote what it thinks ought to be done, promote its uh, translation of the Bible and its Sunday school material or its discipleship material or its whatever. And it's, it could be very poor and not the most effective, or you know, our children's ministry stuff, and as opposed to a church being freed up to look around and get what's best. Mm. Um, so, and then you throw in where denominations have often been known for their public fighting and division and discord, and, um, and the SBC would lead the way on that, and lately so have Methodists and many others. I mean, there's been a lot of infighting, some of it over legitimate theological issues, but some of it over just really uh, petty issues like spending all kinds of time on 
I won't get into it over what they've been in over the last two years. It's what our whole culture has been in over the last two years, but we've just elevated certain things to level of doctrinal um, orthodoxy. And, and it's like, we're going to, we're going to go down fighting over it. So I just think you add all this up and denominations in decline is just does not surprise me. They didn't have to be in decline, but they, they guaranteed that they would be. I have to ask real quick, because you did mention Mac, you mentioned like an SBC background. And you also mentioned that like when you started Mac, it, it, it feels normal now to say that we're an interdenominational church. But I imagine, as you said, that wasn't normal when you planted Mac. So what I have to know, like what was behind that decision? It seems more <laughs> like a statement than, than anything else. All right. All right. Full disclosure time. I've never gone public with this. And a lot of people don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, and uh, particularly what's happened over even the last 24 months. So um, all you Baptists out there, take a deep breath. Um, I mentioned I was, uh, my, my, my background was unchurched. You know, I didn't become a Christian, I was 20. And so, but what little I had was Baptistic. And then it quickly got more entrenched in terms of Baptistic theology, Baptistic life, and, and Southern Baptist life. And I did my seminary work at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And before I go on to Vanderbilt and Oxford and other places. So anyway, my, my, I had what roots I had denominationally were there. And I am Baptistic theologically. I am. I'm, I'm there. Uh, and classic Baptistic, going back to the Reformation theology, that's where I'm at. Um, and Mech is reflective of that in terms of things like uh, believer's baptism and baptism by immersion and priesthood of the believer and having, you know, a congregational role in terms of decision making and such. And there's just, you know, we, we have a, we're very Baptistic in that way. Um, when we started MEC, though, I kept Baptist out of the name. When we started it, it was a full Southern Baptist church plant that even received initially some funds from the Southern Baptist Convention to help us get started, as did a lot of churches that did not carry Baptist in the name. Um, in fact, I would uh, argue that because of their aggressive nature in the 90s and 2000s, almost every church plant in the United States of a contemporary nature that was thriving was Southern Baptist. A lot of people just don't know it because they didn't carry it in their name because that would have been a barrier because nobody wanted to go to a Baptist church or a Lutheran or a Methodist or anything else. Nominationalism was out. So you call yourself, we were not Mecklenburg Baptist Church. We were Mecklenburg Community Church because we wanted to be a church for the community. So I would tell people, you know, okay, we're interdenominational, which means that yes, we have Baptistic background and a tie there, but we want to be a church of all denominations, including people with no denomination whatsoever. You know, we're a church for the unchurched, and we have a vision that goes far beyond this. And we just have this tie here because they helped us get started. And, and you know, we, we need some way to cooperate with other churches for foreign missions and serving the, excuse me, serving the poor and, and, and large scale issues like orphanages and such. And so we feel good about this relationship. And we're in total troll, you know, our totally uh, local church autonomous. We make our own decisions, make our own guidelines. Nobody dictates to us. So it seemed like a good fit, you know, and just all those dynamics. Um, and so that, that was how it was. And then I would say that over the last few years, um, it, it seemed like a lot within the SBC has just quite frankly been very troubling to me and has been spinning out of control. And I see it going in certain theological areas that have nothing to do with orthodoxy, but going toward a particular stripe of theology um, and, and almost a, ta a takeover mentality to make sure everything is in that particular ilk. Um, I've also seen, uh, I feel like a very inappropriate response to issues related to race and a very inappropriate response to uh, the Me Too movement and, 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 a, and, a, and a terrible understanding toward 
women who have been victims of sexual abuse. And, and that's obviously in the press as well. And on and on it goes. And after a while, you just say, you know what, I, 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 I don't think I left you, but I think you left me. And and so we we actually of in recent have 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 ended our relationship formally with the SBC. We're not a Southern Baptist church. We're Baptistic, um, and and we still cooperate some with with a lot of different mission partners. But um, in terms of being able to uh, financially support, in terms of being able to be, you know, to to just say that this is this is our 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 affiliation, we can't. We just feel like there's it's it's just a mess, and the leadership has been a mess, and where it's gone has been a mess, and it's been an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. And I don't think that I'm alone on that. I think that you have people with a Methodist background saying that about their Methodist church and Presbyterian background saying that about theirs. And so there is a sense where while there's a love and appreciation for what a denomination can do, um, there's never anything in scripture that says thou shalt be in a denomination. And it's largely an American phenomenon, certainly a post-Reformation phenomenon. And um, the key is church, uh, you know, local churches, biblically led, biblically structured, cooperating with Christians in the wider Christian world of all stripes in the name of unity. And so I don't think that um, affiliating yourself or not affiliating yourself to a particular denomination is, is really the issue. And I do think that there's a time where you have to separate yourself from it if that denomination is indeed doing your witness more harm than good. Um, and also you feel like there's just uh, a spirit there that is getting further and further and away from the heart of Jesus. And so for all those reasons and more, I mean, we took Baptist out of our name back in 1992 because we didn't want anything to stand in the way of, of being a witness to people from all kinds of backgrounds. And sadly to me in recent years, we've had to make an even more formal separation because um, it, we just can't affiliate ourselves with something or, or an affiliate or group. That while there's a lot that we appreciate theologically and a lot that we appreciate in terms of missionary spirit and, and, and evangelism and things, there's just, there's just so much there that we just say, oh my gosh, you know, we just, we just, we can't support this. We can't affiliate with this. And, um, and I say that with, with sadness. Well, and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who comes from an unchurched background, who is just exploring God for the first time, like what denominations even mean to them. And you mentioned that like, that can actually be a barrier for people. Is that the consensus? Like, I mean, church people aside, right? Like for the unchurched to have Baptist in your name or Methodist or whatever, does that feel more like a barrier or does yes. that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's more now than ever. And because all they know is what they read in the press and also denominations just scream out to them everything they hate about uh, religion and everything they hate about just the church. And, and in other words, what they're really attracted to is as much, well, we can get into that, but I mean, it, it's, it's they, they just, they don't care about denominations. They don't really want to be a part of a denomination. They don't want to be affiliated that way. Um, they are interested in community. They're interested in the leadership and the teaching. They're interested in the style. They're interested in children's ministry. Um, they're interested in, and attracted to that. They're much more um, making their decision church by church, independent of that church's affiliation. But if there is a, a big church affiliation plastered on the outside, it can keep them from even investigating it because that itself is such a turnoff. Well, so that begs the question then, of course, of like, so what is, what, what should we hold on to? Should we hold on to denominations? Like, can we say they served a purpose and now they're, they don't serve that purpose anymore? Or, I mean, you mentioned before, I mean, even the, the, the healthy diversity that denominations can offer, but is that it? Is that, I mean, should we, 
is that enough to hang on to them? What I think we need, every church needs, let me just back off and say, let's just start with a blank slate. What, what is, what, I mean, we, we've actually talked in previous episodes about how you can't be an unchurched Christian. And what does it mean when you have the church? So we can flag that episode as well in the show notes, which is a very important conversation. But what, what does a church need outside of a biblical structure and fulfilling the biblical definition and of a church? Well, I think that what churches as a whole need is that there needs to be leadership. They need resources. They need accountability. Um, and that, that there is a sense where that can be done internally with a good church structure in a local church setting, but it also can be done something in cooperation with other churches. So I, I think that, that there's a place for it. I think that there's going to be a remaking of a lot of alliances that will not be denominations so much as there'll be networks. Um, and I do think that the future of the denomination is not denominations, but it's networks, it's like-minded affiliations, it's, 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 it's getting together for very strategic things that is, is good to do, but, but really being freed up of all the trappings of a denomination. I, I think that, that Christians will always, and churches will always be a little tribal in nature and seek other churches and leaders that are kind of of their tribe and reflect them. And also because we can do more when in concert with other churches than we can alone. But having said that, there's been this other phenomenon that has come along board that some have said has taken the place of the denomination as well. And it's not just networks, it's megachurches. And megachurches are a relatively new phenomenon that have exploded over the last 30, 40 years. And so, whereas before, you know, the average church running was 70 to 200, but now when you have churches that are running in the thousands, they can do for themselves what only denominations could do before for churches. They can write their own children's ministry material. They can do their own curriculum, discipleship curriculum. They can develop their own videos or films or programs. They, 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 they can send their own missionaries and develop their own missionary partnerships and, and, and such. And so what a, a, a denomination was absolutely essential for in the past, a large church um, uh, does not need that as much. So there's a lot in terms of the future, in terms of ways, the way denominations serve that they can, we can still fill that niche. Hmm. Well, gosh, we have kept you longer than we normally like to, but I hope that it was because this conversation was important. You felt like everything that we have discussed today was worthwhile, but um, thank you for joining us. We won't hold you any any longer, but um, I hope this, yeah, I hope this served you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.